All right, if you have your Bible, go ahead and find the book of Jonah. I've got it marked so I can cheat. Find it here. All right, Jonah, and find Jonah chapter 1. Okay, let me find it on my tablet here. Jonah chapter, there we go. All right, Jonah chapter 1, giving you plenty of time because I'm trying to find it here on mine. All right, and let, let's read what we studied last week, get everybody on the same page, repetition is good for us, and then we'll continue on, we'll continue on here. Okay, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarsus. I struggled with that last week, and I'm going to struggle again with it. Y'all just, Brittany, last week on the way home, she said, I don't know what you're doing, but you're not saying that right. And, and so Tarshish, I'm trying, but I just can't say it. So y'all just, we're going to do that all night. I'm just going to keep on going. Y'all chuckle if you want to. It doesn't bother me. Found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. He went on board uh, to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurl, hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners called out, were afraid, each cried out to his guide, and they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and it laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your guide. Perhaps the, the God will give a thought to us that we shall not perish. The word of God comes to Jonah. Jonah is a prophet. His job is to go and proclaim and preach the word of God. It's what he does. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, go to Nineveh. But Jonah turns and he goes the opposite direction. Now, let me just remind you from last week, the Ninevites are bad people, okay? They have a, a terrible reputation. Remember, we looked last week when they would come into a town, they would just come in with death and they would kill people. Uh, before they would kill the women and the children, oftentimes they would rape them. They would take the men outside the city. They would skin them alive. They would bury them in the sand so that that rough sand would be against their open flesh. They would drive a stake through their tongue. They'd pull their tongue out and drive a stake through it so they couldn't even swallow and once everyone was dead, they would take their heads, they would cut them off their bodies, and they would stack them outside the city gate. And so Jonah says, that's not a place I want to go. Doesn't sound good to me. Not my kind of mission trip. I want to go to a beach somewhere. I don't want to go to Nineveh. And so the Bible says that Jonah turns and he goes the opposite direction. Jonah gets on a boat and he's sailing the opposite direction. And once he gets on this boat, Jonah goes 
inside the vessel and he takes him a nap. He goes to sleep. He takes a little rest. All of a sudden, there comes a storm upon the boat, and there are these pagan sailors, and they begin to call out to their gods. They begin to call out to the gods that they know. They're praying. They are seeking their gods, but it seems like nothing is happening. And so finally, the captain goes down. He finds Jonah, and he shakes Jonah and says, Jonah, wake up and call out to your God, and maybe he will hear us. Now, to me, it's ironic because you've got a pagan sailor, and he goes to a sleeping prophet, and the pagan sailor urges the prophet to pray. It's a little ironic, isn't it? It ought to be the other way around, shouldn't it? But here's a man who is lost, and he goes to the prophet. He wakes him up. He says, we're in trouble. You've got to begin to pray to your guide. Reminds me of a story I heard recently. There was a, a pastor of a small church in a small town, and a man moved in, and he set up a bar about three miles down the road. And so this bugged this pastor. He didn't like it. And so he called his congregation together, and he said, we're going to have a prayer meeting every night of the week until this bar is shut down. And so they met Monday night. They met Tuesday night. They met Wednesday night. They met Thursday night, and they just kept on meeting. And the people would come, and they would pray, and they prayed that God would shut this bar down. Two weeks had not passed, and that bar owner, he had so many problems. He had problems with his utilities. He had problems with his plumbing. He had problems with his billing. He had problems on every front, and so he decided he must shut the bar down. When he shut the bar down, he sent a letter to the pastor informing the pastor that his church was being sued because he held the church responsible for his bar shutting down. And so they go to the courtroom, and uh, he calls his attorney up, and he calls the preacher up on the stand, and he says, Preacher, my business owner here, he holds you responsible for shutting his business down. And all of a sudden, that preacher began to backstep a little bit. He said, well, wait a minute. All we did was pray. All we did was pray. He said, preacher, you prayed every night. No, no, we didn't do anything. All we did was pray. There, there's no harm in praying. Nothing happened through our prayers. It's not our fault that his business shut down. And all of a sudden, the judge chuckled, and he said, you know what's interesting? We've got a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer, and we've got a preacher who believes there is no power in prayer. It's kind of what we see here. We find a pagan lost man, and he comes to Jonah, the prophet that hears from God, and he says, Jonah, you've got to wake up. Jonah, you've got to wake up because this is not going to be good. Now, here's the point I want you to understand. Our prayers will not be answered when we live in disobedience to God. Our prayers will not be answered when we live in disobedience to God. They are praying that the storm will quiet. They are praying that the storms will cease. The problem, however, is God sent those storms. God sent those storms, and those storms are on a mission. Those storms are on a mission to get the attention of Jonah. And those storms will not quit until they have done what they have come to do. 
God will not answer our prayers when we are living in disobedience. When you get to Deuteronomy 28, Deuteronomy 28, you find an interesting passage. You find a passage that talks about the blessings from God when we live in obedience, and you find the curses from God when we live in disobedience. There's blessings when we live in obedience. Now, I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. I'm not saying if we're being obedient, our life will be easy and you'll be healthy and you'll be rich. That's not what I'm saying. But I do believe that as we walk in the will of God, there are blessings upon our life. And as we walk in disobedience, many times there are curses. When you look at Deuteronomy 28, it says that when we live in disobedience, there will be confusion. There will be frustration. There will be disease. There will be drought. There will be famine. There will be military defeat. There could be tumors. There could be blindness. There could be relationship problems. There could be financial problems. There could be problem among our children. That's just to name a few that are found in Deuteronomy 28. And here's what it reminds me of. Anybody ever had a storm in their life? We have, hadn't we? We face storms in life. And sometimes we face storms just because life can be tough. Sometimes we face storms and it's nothing to do with us. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's a financial problem. Maybe it's a disease. And it's not our fault at all. Remember when the disciples were walking with Jesus and they passed a man who was blind and they had a question, Lord, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. And how did Jesus respond? Neither. It's so that the Son of God may be glorified. It wasn't because they sinned. However, there are times that when we face storms in life, it goes back to our disobedience to God. And so as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we would be wise when we see a storm coming upon our life, we would be wise to seek the face of God and say, Lord, is there anything in my life that does not honor you? Lord, are you trying to get my attention right now? Lord, is there something in my life that does not honor you? And could it be that this is the cause of the storm in my life? Now, again, I'm not saying that every time you go through something, you should see that as the punishment of God. That's not biblical. But it could be that when you go through a trial or a storm, that God is using that to get your attention and to draw him closer to you. And if we simply pray that God would take the storm away, it may be that God says, no, I have sent that storm for a reason in your life, and I will not take the storm away until it fulfills its purpose. And so we can pray all day for the storm to pass, the storm to pass, the storm to pass, but if God has sent that storm for a purpose, it will not pass until we turn around and go the other direction. It could be this could be that someone's having difficulties at their job. They're having difficulties at their work. And it comes because you're not honoring God with your wealth. It could be that someone is having difficulties in their marriage, the marriage relationship. And that could be because your marriage is not honoring to God. It could be that you've got rebellious children. And that could be because we didn't raise them in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so when we face these trials, we need to take a step back and evaluate what's happening and what's going on in our life. Jonah is praying, but he needs to repent. That's what he needs to do, isn't it? He needs to realize this storm is sent with a purpose. Next thing I want you to see is this. Prayer should not be used as a stalling mechanism. Prayer should not be used as a stalling mechanism. Now, don't misunderstand me again. There is power to prayer. Amen? The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We know that. We know that's true. Everyone in here, we know that before we make a decision, before you make a big decision as a family, you should pray about it. Before we make a big decision as a church, we better spend time seeking the face of God and praying about it. But there's a time to quit praying and to be a people of action. Back in Joshua chapter 7, we see that Joshua is, is down and he has fallen on his face before God and he's praying and he's calling out to God. God, we lost the battle at Ai. I don't understand it. I'm broken down because of it. And so he is in a time of prayer seeking God. But this is how the Lord responds. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned and they have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, they have lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. He goes on a couple more verses. Then again, he says, get up, consecrate yourself and your people. Say, oh, Israel, because you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. Twice, he says, get up. In other words, he says, stop praying about it. Now you know what you need to do, so get up and do it. We find Jonah and we find these sailors and they are praying. They've got a prayer meeting going on. Jonah knows why that storm has come. He knows. He knows that he's living in disobedience to God. What Jonah needs to do is to stop praying and to begin to repent. Jonah needs to stop praying and he needs to confess his sin to these men around him. There's a time to get up and act. I think in our lives there there could be some times that We pray, and we pray, and we pray, but we never act. We pray for days, or for months, or for years, but we never act. Could be that someone looks at their their marriage, and it's not doing real well, so they start praying for their marriage. And so they pray, and they pray, and they pray, but they never allow God to change their heart. They never adjust the way they treat their spouse. It could be that someone prays and prays and prays because they have financial problems. But after they pray, they go out to the store and they swap that credit card just like they always do. And so there's no action behind it. It could be that there's someone in your life who is lost. And so you pray for them every night. It burdens you. You pray for them. But maybe it's time to go to the next step and to go and to witness to them. 
to tell them about Jesus. Not just pray for them. Prayer is awesome, but maybe God wants to use you to answer that prayer. And so instead of just praying that this loved one would come to the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe you're the answer and you need to go and tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's praying, but it's, it's not what he ought to be doing at this time. He knows why the storm has come. Isaiah 59, 2, it says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Back to Jonah. Look at verse 7. You got your Bible open still? Jonah chapter 1, verse 7. It says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. These men are professional sailors. They've been through storms before, haven't they? They have seen storms. They have seen the winds come against their boat before. But they begin to realize there's something supernatural about this storm. It's got to be because there's someone on this boat that has displeased God. And so they gather everyone around and they begin to cast lots. And they cast lots and the lots come on Jonah. Now, to me, Jonah is the last one you would expect, right? Because Jonah is a prophet. Jonah is from God. Jonah ought to be the one who's living the closest to God. You know what that reminds me? As believers, we can play games well, can't we? We can play games. We can look good when we come to church. We can talk right. We can say the right things and act a certain way and do the right things. But they cast lots, and the lots fall upon Jonah. Verse 8, then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? The storm is howling. The rain's coming down. The ship is going side by side. All of a sudden, they look to Jonah. They want more confirmation. And so they begin to yell out these questions. Hey, who are you? Where do you come from? What's your business? Where are you going? What's going on in your life? And you can just imagine all the sailors begin yelling at Jonah. They're wanting to find out who this man is that they let on their ship. You know what would have been wise? It would have been wise to ask these questions before they let him on board, wouldn't it? Hey, man, who are you? Where are you coming from? Where are you going and why? That could have saved them a lot of heartache could have saved them a lot of hardship on their life. But now they're in the midst of the storm, and they begin to question Jonah and say, Jonah, i got to know who you are. Where do you come from? What's your business here? Why would you come on this boat? Where are you going? In our lives, we need to be very careful who we let in our little circle. We need to be very careful the people that we allow around us. Remember last week we saw that sin does not only affect us, it affects those around us. As a father, if I'm living a life of disobedience, it will affect my wife, it will affect my children. Same is true for you. If you're living in disobedience to God, it will affect those who are closest to you. We saw that with Achan. Remember we saw his whole family was killed. We saw it with David and the loss of his son. 
1 Corinthians says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Proverbs 13 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Psalm 1-1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Have you seen anyone in your life who they were headed for something good until they got caught up with the wrong people? Have you seen that? Maybe when you were growing up, you saw it. We were working in the youth ministry here for years and years and I'm thinking of one, one young lady specifically. And she came up, and I watched her as she was 12, 13, 14. And you could just see she's got potential. I mean, she had this charisma, this personality. She was smart. She was gifted. She was a leader. People were just drawn to her. And, and so I, I would watch, and I just thought, God can use her in big, big ways. But then as she got 15 and 16, she started to change the type of people that she ran with. And so she would bring them to church some, and I, I could just tell it's different. The people that she's running with, they're not good news for her life. And she began to drift away. She would be there every week, then she'd come every other week, and then it was once a month, and then it was uh, lucky if you saw her. And you could just see in her life that she was headed down this path, but she got caught up in the wrong crowd, and her whole life changed directions. Her whole life changed directions. And, and that's been eight, nine, ten years ago, and now her life is nowhere where it should have been. She has missed out on so much Honestly, she has missed the potential that God gave her. And she missed it because she took bad company. And they pulled her down. Sometimes we think that we can pull somebody up. You can't pull somebody up. Most of the time, they will pull you down. And you say, well, that's just for kids. You ought to tell that to our teenagers. No, it's really not. That's for us as we get older, as we mature. If you have friends and they don't value marriage, then you won't value marriage. If you hang out with people and you have friends and they don't value Sunday as the Lord's Day, then you won't value Sunday as the Lord's Day. According to the Bible, as we hang out with people, as we have friends, as we build relationships, bad company ruins good morals. And that's one of the values of church. We come together, and I hope as you sit in here this evening, I hope you've got some friends in here. You've got some friends in here that you can rely on, some friends in here who can help pick you up, who can pray for you, who can hold you accountable. And when you start to slip, when you start to live in disobedience, they'll come up behind you and they'll kick you a little bit, right? And they'll say, hey, it's time to change. It's time to live right. We need to make sure we are surrounded by people who love God. Look at verse 9. We've got to keep going. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. They're asking him, who are you? Where do you come from? What's your business here? And he says, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Anybody's saying, wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Because that, that's a good statement, isn't it? 
That's good. He says, I fear God. I serve the real God. I serve the true God. But there's one little problem, isn't there? His life is not showing this. It, it's good words. It's a good proclamation to make. But he's living in disobedience. He is asleep inside the boat. He's oblivious to what's going on around him. He has to be told to pray. He's living in disobedience. But all of a sudden, he begins to speak the way a prophet speaks. We ever do that? We, we can do it too, can't we? We can be living in disobedience, and all of a sudden we see somebody and we say, man, the Lord's good, isn't he? And we put on this little mask like everything's good, like we're living right. We have people that do it every Sunday. We come into church, and we can sing the songs, and we can carry the big Bibles, and we can go through the motions, and we can say all the right stuff while at the very time living in disobedience to God. And that's why many look at the church and they say it's just cheap. It's just cheap talk. It is cheap talk when we don't live what we speak. It is empty words when we don't live the same things that we say. And so he's got this great proclamation. I fear God, the God of heavens, the one who made the dry land and the sea. In verse 10, and then the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, What is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. They knew that this is bad. The storm is not just a, a regular storm. The storm is here to get the attention of this man. And now we're in the midst of it. And so they begin to question him more. It says, Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great temptest has come upon us. They're looking for the solution. This cannot continue much longer. If the storm keeps getting larger and larger, we're going to die in the middle of the sea. And so they say, Jonah, what do we have to do to make the storm calm down? And Jonah says, you've got to take me and throw me over the side of it. When you throw me over the side of it, when you sacrifice my life, then the storm will calm down around you. Finally, Jonah takes blame. Finally, we see that. The storm's been raging. They've been praying. But we don't see yet where Jonah says, it's my fault until right now. He says, this is my fault. I'm the reason why the storm is here amongst us. You've got to throw me overboard. And nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous again. And so it's getting larger, it's getting larger, it's getting larger. But what are the men trying to do? They're trying to save Jonah, aren't they? They're fighting with all they've got. They don't want to throw him overboard. They believe that will kill him. He'll be dead. And so they're fighting to try to save his life. These men are men of courage. And it's interesting because they care about the life of Jonah but Jonah didn't care about their life. Jonah didn't care that he brought the storm upon their life. Jonah was asleep. 
He wasn't worried about it. He wasn't concerned with it. But these men are fighting with all they've got to save the life of Jonah. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord. For you, O Lord, have done, have done as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah, they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. Here's where we're going to close up. They're fighting against the sea, and finally they realize it's not doing any good. And so imagine they go and they take Jonah, and they, they hate to do this, but they take Jonah and they throw him over the side of the ship. And they watch Jonah as he goes into the water, and all of a sudden they look around them, and this raging storm just goes quiet. The storm has been raging, and the Bible says it's getting stronger, it's getting stronger, it's getting stronger. They've never seen anything like it before. They're yelling over the wind, over the noise, and all of a sudden, as Jonah enters into the water, there's peace. It's silent. Then the Bible says those men believed. Those men now know who the real and the true God is. You know what's interesting? In the midst of disobedience, God is still working. Even in the midst of disobedience, God is still using circumstances and drawing people to himself. God is always working. In your life, God is at work. You may not see it, you may not feel it, but God is working. And so these men come to the Lord they feared the Lord greatly, and they offered to sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. They witnessed the power of God. You realize people are watching your life? Even when you don't realize it, they are watching you. They're watching the way that you handle difficulties. They're watching the way that you respond when things are not easy. They're watching the way that you live life. They're watching the way that you carry out your relationships. They're watching the way that you work. And you can either shine brightly for the Lord or you can push people away from the Lord. Had an encounter uh, a couple weeks back. I'm not going to say the, the guy's name, but he got what was probably the greatest compliment a person could ever receive in life. This man, he, he had a friend, and they worked together. Not real close, best I understand, not real close, but just throughout the years, their paths have come together and they have worked together and then they've gone apart and they come back and they've worked together. And this man tells his story, the way that the Lord came in and changed his life. And he lives in a, he works in an industry that it's, it's not always easy to shine for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there, there's some places it's just not real easy, but but he's made a commitment, and he's trying to honor God with his life. And so he's living a life that's different from his coworkers. And so he's been doing this for a while now. And a couple of weeks back, he got a call from a friend that he works with occasionally. Now, they're not the best of friends. They're friends, but it's not like they're together all the time. 
But this man called and he said, I'm going through a, a difficult time in my life. He had, he had hit a point that was rock bottom in his life. Things were just not going real good. And basically he said, I've seen something different in you. I've seen something different in your life. I've seen something different in the way that you live. And I know you talk about the Lord. And so I know it's kind of strange, but I wanted to call you and see what could happen. And so this friend of his began to share his faith. And they began to talk about it. And I got to be in the midst of it. And so we met together, the three of us. And this man ended up giving his heart and his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's planning on being baptized in the next couple of weeks. His whole life has changed. And you know where it came from? It came from seeing the difference in one man. A difference that was not just in words, but it was in the daily living the daily living, day in and day out, that shows that I love the Lord Jesus Christ and he has changed my life. Here's the point. When we live for Jesus, people will see it in us. And you don't even have to open your mouth. When you live for the Lord Jesus Christ, everything about you will be different. Now, you may go through days or weeks or months, and you may think that nobody notices you may think that nobody sees. You may think that nobody cares, but people are watching you. And it could be that we go through life and we push people away from the Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe we'll be judged for that. Or it could be that we live and we live in obedience and we bite our tongues when we need to bite our tongues. And we hold things in when we need to hold things in. And we glorify God. And we've got that, that sweet spirit that just attracts people. And folks will be saved because of that. Here are some guys, and they saw a man in disobedience. They saw a storm, and they saw the power of God, and their life was never the same. Can you imagine as they went home? They finally made their way home, and they go in, and they find their, their wife. And, Honey, have I got a story for you. We're on the boat. This guy comes on with us, and all of a sudden, the storm starts raging around us. We don't know what's happening. We talk to him. He says, well, I'm a prophet. I'm living in disobedience. I would say, what do, you, what do we have to do to you? Well, we've got to throw you overboard. And so, honey, we threw him overboard, and all of a sudden, the biggest storm you could dream up, it just went quiet, and it was silent. Honey, let me tell you, let me tell you, I know who the real God is. And I, I just picture that he went and he led his family to Christ. And so from that one little encounter with Jonah, how many people came to know the Lord Jesus Christ? And, and I, I'm getting ahead of myself. I know at this point Jesus had not come yet. They put their faith in God. But people came to faith because of this. And so people are watching you and they're, they're watching me also. May we live a life that counts. May we live a life that makes a difference. If we live in disobedience, God will get our attention. God will throw storms at us, and we can live through those storms as long as we want to, but I believe that once we come back, God's going to bless that. And so maybe there's something you've been running away from. Maybe God's told you to do something, and, and you've been going the opposite direction, and the Lord's challenging you and saying, turn around. I'm giving you another shot. Turn around. I'm about to send a storm in your life. Turn around. Be obedient. And what you need to do this evening is you need to pray, Lord, I, I'm repenting. I'm sorry for living in disobedience. 
You asked me to do this, and I haven't done it, but that's going to change now. You asked me to, to share my faith with a loved one or a co-worker, and I haven't done it, but I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it tonight. You asked me to forgive someone, I haven't done it, I've been living in disobedience, but I'm going to do it tonight. Lord, I haven't been honoring you with the way that I've been living, and that changes tonight. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this evening. Thank you again for these who have come. Lord, I pray that you've, you've challenged us through your word this evening, God. I thank you for the way that your word speaks to us. It convicts us, it challenges us, and it comforts us. Lord, I pray if there's a decision that needs to be made, if there's one here who's living in disobedience to you, Lord, I pray that will change tonight. Lord, I pray that we will do what you've asked us to do, that we will be obedient and that we'll be faithful to you. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, uh, let's see here. Update on Brother Charles. He had surgery around lunchtime today uh, on his other shoulder, and he's doing well. Uh, was back home a couple hours ago, and so he's recovering at home, okay? And so he's doing well. Uh, Julie Markham is still in Dallas recovering, so keep her in your prayers. If you look on, if you picked up a prayer list on your way in, I had one somewhere, but that is up to date and should have all of our, all of our most up-to-date prayer requests on it. So I encourage you to pick one of those up. Don't just pick it up and throw it away, but pray about those throughout the week. There is power in prayer, and so let's lift those up to the Lord, okay? Anybody have anything extra we need to add to it? Well, let's, let's pray for that family. Brother Frank, would you mind lifting that prayer up for us?